This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it is a, an interesting week, kind of capping off an interesting year. We are uh, just about to jump into Christmas Eve, uh, but by the time people are listening to this, we're going to be looking at New Year's coming up. And uh, as we approach the new year, we've been doing a lot of reflecting on the year that just was. Uh not that that's not what everybody's been doing every day this year, just in terms of how uh, wild and strange this year has been. But uh, in particular, we uh, we put out our year in review issue, and uh, people can enjoy that now. And as we kind of looked over the year that was and some of the big stories across the uh, different genres of news food, theater, art, that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it was kind of an interesting look back on uh, the year that was, uh, especially those couple of months before March, uh, seeing how different the stories were compared to pretty much everything that we were talking about after March. Uh, <laughs> do you have any any takeaways from your experience kind of looking through? And then uh, I guess we'll jump kind of into the year that was, and we'll, we'll go over kind of our year in review for 2020. Uh, what, what were your takeaways from kind of trolling back through the archives a little bit? Well, when you go back through the whole year, usually it's like kind of a invigorating thing to look back and, and go, oh man, we did that story or oh, I remember when that happened and that was really cool and met that person and um, there's almost an excitement to it. And then this year it was almost anxiety inducing <laughs> to go, right. go back and just see what a slog it was and be reminded of the days of, of March that were just like so uncertain and unknown and you know scary from a business ownership perspective, from a, from a journalistic perspective. But then even to see like January and February and be reminded of like all the plans that we had <laughs> and everything. I, I think back to those times and I'm like, yeah, we were going to do this, this, and this, and this with the, with the pulse this year. And we were going to do this big sustainability issue and we were going to have time to do this thing and that thing. And so much of that just got parked by the side of the road as you just kind of plowed forward to keep the doors open and um, cover everything that came our way with COVID. It just kind right. of blocked blocked everything else out. I mean, what was your reaction? I know you haven't been on the editorial side of the paper the whole time, but obviously we've been doing these podcasts. Um, when you look back at it, what did you see and feel? You know, I I feel like maybe it's a defense mechanism just trying to keep my brain on a good path, but I have been really trying to focus on uh, some of the silver linings and some of the interesting, unique stories that came out of this year, rather than uh, kind of focusing on the 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 more you know negative things that happened. Uh, not to say that like you know I am trying to find the glass half full in this year because certainly this year uh, has been devastating to many people, but. Uh, particularly in, say, the arts and entertainment scenes uh, with theater specifically. And maybe it's just my background in theater, uh, knowing that theater just is a series of problem-solving exercises, getting from one place to the to the next. But uh, 
looking back on organizations who have uh, improvised and adapted and come up with new ideas or changed the ways that they did certain things, um, highlighting those stories, I think, have been uh, kind of the light, the light in the darkness this year. Um, there are many businesses that had to close. Um, and that's, you know, that's really, really unfortunate. But at the same time, there are businesses that I think will come out of this year with with deeper insights into how they might want to approach the years uh, coming. And I think that there are opportunities that have come out of this, um, not so much in terms of like capitalizing on a pandemic, but being able to uh, either have the time or be forced into a position where you you need to look at these other avenues of connecting with people or delivering a product, those types of things uh, that I think I, I think will be useful moving forward. I think that this was a a good year for getting everybody kind of on the same page with technology. Uh, it forced a lot of businesses to uh, look at the way that they do things and figure out if there is a more streamlined way or a way that it can be done online. Uh, it forced many businesses to look into their online presence in terms of online ordering and that type of stuff. Uh, there is there's a greater uh, accessibility to many places now with curbside pickup and stuff like that. Uh, and then finding like, again, especially in theater, uh, finding ways to connect to your audience and to connect your audience to the people behind the scenes rather than just uh, putting them in seats in your theater. Like, I think that those are the stories that stood out to me the most this year. And those are my takeaways from kind of looking back over them. Yeah. It's interesting too, on that note, I know like it's not over yet. So businesses still have a lot to learn. I think like everyone was just kind of plowing through in 2020 and now there's a little bit of a breathing space where people can do some planning and thinking ahead for next year. And it, I know you and I had this discussion, discussion last week about, well, is it going to be a, a normal summer or is it going to be waiting till the fall until things return back to normal? Um, right. I know like Anthony Fauci predicts closer to the fall. I'm hopeful for the summer. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. He's definitely smarter than me on this front. But that means businesses have... A lot of planning to do for the year ahead they, in a lot of ways they still need to do those things to innovate and and make money and keep the doors open and door county economic development corporation kind of with the help of this business recovery task force that i'm a part of is going to be doing a series of webinars in january and february about some of these specific aspects like maximizing your e-commerce portfolio your digital game some um, sessions for nonprofits financial services like you know a lot of people we're fortunate here at the pulse that we have a business manager and that dave has the time to dive in on the the business side of what we do while i can still focus largely on the editorial side of what we do a lot of businesses don't have that luxury of having somebody who has their eye on the books and can help you work with banks and and set aside that time when you like if you're a restaurant owner you might have to cook for those, when this all hit, you might have been thin, short-staffed and planning on cooking all the time. And suddenly now you have to do this complex application for, for a PPP loan and figure out what the best way to get that loan forgiven is and how much you do get forgiven and what's the interest rate impact on all these things and all these programs that are out there. So I know that Door County Economic Development Corporation is, is trying to find ways to help people wade through that mess. And that's just going right. to keep going throughout this winter as people plan ahead for 2021. Right. 
Uh, I think that you and I will probably talk maybe next week about what 2021 might look like in terms of, you know, uh, what what things are going to evolve into, what the spring looks like, that kind of stuff. But I want to kind of start our year in review uh, on the podcast side of things, because when you had talked about, you know, a lot of just you know, head down, plowing through, trying to get through kind of thing. It feels like the early months of that uh, was really apparent with our podcasting and going through and actually looking at what we accomplished this year with the podcast uh, was kind of surprising because in the moment you don't think about it, right? Especially when we were doing this early on, we were doing daily episodes. You didn't really think about, wow, we're doing five podcasts a week. But now looking back on it, uh, it's kind of surprising. Uh, so this year in the podcast was um, it was interesting in a lot of ways. It wasn't nearly as challenging, I think, as as other parts of what we do at the Pulse were, because the way that we record the podcast is pretty much the same whether or not we're with each other or doing it remotely. Uh, you and I record our audio tracks on separately in general, whether we're speaking to each other in the same room or not. And then I line them up in the edit and go that way. It just gives us greater control over things. So if you cough on your end or a car goes by on my end, I can get rid of that in the audio uh, without actually affecting your sound or my sound, right? Mm -hmm. So when we moved into doing this remotely, our workflow didn't change at all. Uh, we talked to each other over Slack, but that's the only thing that's different in terms of actually putting this thing together. Together. So it felt like early on we had a tool available to us that would, you know, not only be something that we could jump right into without any sort of trying to figure things out, but it was something that we could do quickly and provide people more information. And both of those things were super important in March and April to us, being able to get people important information as quickly as possible. And I think the podcast kind of became that in a way. I mean, I would beg to differ on the uh, the seamless transition nature of it. I mean, for just because we were doing so many and because we weren't in the office that you had that transition to going. I mean, there was a little bit of try to figure out how to do audio from afar because we hadn't really done that much of that. But um, just finding the time in the day and fi squeezing like that production side of like, when can we record today and what do we know and how certain is it? And it some days we'd we'd go into it with the yeah we don't have to record for a few days but then things were moving so fast and news would come out and we'd realize okay but the next paper isn't out and for five more days um there's we can do it in the email and online but really walking through what we were learning day to day minute to minute as the county was left to adjust and the, the state was left to adjust and everyone was stuck in their homes that was uh i never expected to do five or six podcasts in a week like we did back then <laughs> Right. Um, I, I kind of crunched the numbers on what we actually did this year and some of the interesting takeaways. At this point, uh, maybe two weeks ago, we had released 288 episodes of the podcasts overall since we started, I want to say, two years ago now at this point. Uh, however, 116 of those episodes were produced this year. Uh, so that is you know, a, a much bigger number than you, you might expect uh, just doing this in one year and not even getting to the end of the year yet, still having several podcasts unaccounted for by that point. Uh, of those 116 episodes, 60 of them were guest interviews. Uh, so we really 
from the beginning, we've tried to incorporate other voices into the podcast and tell the stories straight from the mouths of the people who are, you know, creating the tapestry up here. But uh, this year, more than ever, I feel like we we really connected to people. And it's interesting in that this is the year where we haven't actually been able to bring people into the studio to do it. Uh, so making use of phone calls and, and a lot of what you do just in general will be a phone call with somebody. You might talk to them for 15, 20 minutes for a story. Being able to translate that into the podcast, I think, has been really useful uh, because it allows people to hear uh, what you might take and then write about. It allows them to hear exactly what the conversation is from the beginning. And I, I think that that immediacy of that information is important. Well, and that's only possible because basically move the recording equipment into my garage. <laughs> right. You know, back in for, for several months in the spring of working largely remotely, just having the, the equipment in the garage when I was calling people anyway, it, it was it made it a lot easier. But, you know, and looking back, COVID is so unique in that it impacts everybody. You know, if I have a, if I'm doing a story on a municipal issue or we're doing a story on um, water quality issues, yes, everyone's impacted by water quality, but it's not like you can, not like everybody has a story to tell about it. In the, in the right. COVID sense, basically anybody had a unique perspective because it was hitting everybody in different ways, whether it be a, a city manager or a restaurant owner or a grocery store owner, or somebody whose mom was in a nursing home. So you just look at the wide variety of people. We've talked to people in Belgium, Spain, Washington State, Chicago, Green Bay, and tons of people in Door County. We've talked to tons of different public health experts, doctors, patients, like such a wide gamut of people um, in terms of how this pandemic was hitting them in their day-to-day lives and what it looked like on the on the ground floor. Um, one of the things that I, I look back at our, our year, and you, you it's always interesting because you never know which podcast or what subject is going to resonate. You can you have some hints. Like I know if we put Fred and Fuzzies <laughs> or Al Johnson's in a, in a podcast headline, a lot of people are going to listen to it. But the most listened episode of the last year was our interview with Karin Northrup on trans, transforming Main Street Market to... Right to being like a, a solely a takeout grocery store early on in the pandemic. Um, and I, I did not anticipate that people would be so fascinated by that subject, but apparently they were. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the interesting thing, too, is if you look at our top 10 episodes of all time, eight of them were recorded this year. So like this was a great year for podcast listening, but also I think it was just it was a year in which people were were hungry for that information, whether that be uh, the latest on what's happening with COVID or just hearing from the the restaurateurs and the business owners that they love up here, wanting to know how things are going with them. Um, the the only one that didn't really have much to do with COVID at all this year uh, was our number two podcast, which was uh, your interview with Dan Egan on the high waters of Lake Michigan. Uh, but I think that that's something that people are just interested in in general. And Dan Egan is a great author and a great interview. So uh, not surprised that that one ranks so high. No, I, I was not surprised either. Although looking back, I'm it's just surprising that that was this year. It seems like... <laughs> And I and I know I think I did that interview during COVID, but it just st- seems like another lifetime just because it's been drowned out by so many stories about should we mask or not mask or um, should we have a lockdown or not have a lockdown or what's the COVID testing data today say? So um, right. some of these things just don't seem like they happened in 2020. <laughs> right. Uh, the last thing that I'll say about the podcast before we move on to some other things, 
I, I just wanted to say thank you to Dr. Jim Heiss for coming on the podcast four times this year. Uh, he is definitely our most frequent guest, and he has always brought really great information to people. So I'm glad that uh, he was able to give us some time so many different times this year. And, and I will note, I, I think um, Dr. Heiss and even Dr. or Brian Stevens, the CEO at, at the hospital, you know, they're in a, a tough spot. Sue Powers as well at public health because you know, there are certain rules about what they can and cannot say. A lot of times when you talk to people in those positions, they they want to make sure they cover beforehand what you're going to talk about. And they've, I mean, other than like that they aren't going to give out patients information, they've been very open about what's going on at the hospital and what they're dealing with throughout all this and being willing to come on our podcast and do other radio interviews and do the Facebook live sessions that they've been doing, create videos, do news hits. Um, I'm sure that's not what they got into that profession for. So, uh, you know, there's been so much uncertainty and so much, so many times we didn't have the answers we wanted, but I, I will give them credit for the amount of times they, they open themselves up to questioning because in my, my case, I'm asking the questions most of the time. And when that gets turned on you, you're su- suddenly like, well, this is awkward. And then I realize, oh, that's what everybody feels like when I call them. So... <laughs> Right. Uh, with that, why don't we stay in the internet space for a little bit longer? And I just kind of briefly want to touch on some of our most viewed website articles. Uh, Miles, you dug into some of the stats over on the website. What were your major takeaways from looking at that? Well, people love Al Johnson's. <laughs> even, yep. Even in like you just said, Al Johnson's and Fred and Fuzzies. <laughs> yep. Even in the uh, the year of COVID, the top two most viewed articles on our website were one about the Al Johnson's goats on the roof trademark that went to the Supreme Court. Um, and one was Fred, the, the selling of Fred and Fuzzy's property. Um, obviously, those are two places that tens of thousands of people have a connection to. So right. everyone's interested and everybody's always interested in de- development or stopping development in Door County. So that makes sense with Fred and Fuzzy's. Um, and then, you know, obviously a lot of articles about the COVID situation and how it was impacting people here. Right. Well, it's it's interesting because, of course, more people, I feel like, had more time online this year just in general. Uh, and I think that you see a relation to that in people looking up COVID information, but you also just see general curiosities. Uh, our number six most read article online was the article about if bears and wolves are in Door County, <laughs> which is interesting because I, I'm almost 100% certain we talked about this for our last year in review, too. So people still really curious about this, even a year later. Yeah, that. And, um, you know, there's a couple of articles that consistently get traffic on the website now that one from for a couple of years but also our stories about chateau hutter um people those curiosities of door county people just have i always call them like ever wonders when you drive by something and you're like oh i ever wonder what the deal is with that place and that those right. are those are two of those things like i always wondered if there were bears in door county or i've always wondered what the heck was going on with chateau hutter or or the barns down on 42 and 57 that have now come down so um those curiosities, everyone has a connection to those in Door County. Um, not a lot of fires this year, which is one bright spot. Normally, there's a, a couple of business closings or or business fires, usually a restaurant fire, that um, make our top list. There was a condo fire in Sister Bay earlier in the year. But other than that, um, no, nothing burned to the ground, thankfully. Right. 
that uh, that condo fire in Sister Bay was interesting too because the uh, Sister Bay Fire Department posted a video showing just how important it is to sleep with your door closed because uh, they walk through the condo and it's it's completely burned to the ground, right? There's holes in the roof and everything. And then they open the door to the bedroom and the bedroom is basically untouched. Yeah. Uh, really, really fascinating video. I think that that's part of the reason why it got so much buzz is just that being able to see that is mm-hmm. uh, really, really cool. So uh, why don't we move on from the online space? I want to talk a little bit about the the year in performance. Uh, this year was, uh, like I said, challenging for everybody. But I, I feel like in the the theater space specifically, but in you know in the performing arts space, there are different questions to answer than you might see in other places. So uh, a a restaurant has to answer the question of how do they deliver their product safely to their customers, right? It's all, it's all about how do we get food to our customers safely. Uh, but I feel like with theater, there's some extra questions that go along with it as well. So, for instance, uh, some of the things that you might not think about with a theater company is the biggest challenge isn't how do we put people in the seats this year, right? Of course, there's safety concerns with that. But there's some other things as well in terms of like you have actors performing live with each other. And there's the kind of baseline safety concerns there of like, how do we have actors not socially distanced, not wearing masks? And what are the safety precautions that we need to take there? But almost all of the theaters in Door County are members of Actors' Equity and all theater or all productions need approval through Actors' Equity. And 2020 saw very, very, very few shows actually put on, equity shows actually put on. Uh, You could probably count the number of shows in 2020 on two hands and all of them had uh, really interesting safety precautions taken. So uh, in the beginning, I think the first show that was performed after March involved uh, actors wearing masks separated by plexiglass partitions on stage. Uh, mm-hmm. It was an outdoor show and all of the people in the audience were masked and social distanced where, as well. Where was that? Uh, it was a production of Godspell I believe in Massachusetts, uh, and you can you can look online and you can see kind of the the super minimal set with the actors and masks and the plexiglass partitions and stuff. It's really interesting. It was a a musical, which of course uh, adds extra layers of precaution into it as well, because you're not just talking to each other on stage, but you're singing, and that prolonged expulsion of uh, you know everything that comes out of your mouth when you're talking and singing definitely adds up when you're, when you're looking at safety concerns. Um, so those, those were some of the other things that people had to grapple with as well. If you were an equity theater up here, uh, you weren't performing. <laughs> you really weren't. And if you were, you had to get creative with it. Some companies were able, were able to, um, for instance, uh, Northern sky has more opportunities to use what they have done because most of the stuff that they do is either written by them or written for them. Uh, so you don't necessarily have the rights thing to contend with with the union. Uh, and therefore, things like their archival footage looks like it's going to be used as part of their 2021 virtual season. Whereas a a company like Peninsula Players, they don't have the same leeway with their archival footage because all of their shows um, need to have rights purchased, and those rights don't include any sort of like distribution of the video 
hmm. of the show. And archival footage is literally for that. It's for archival purposes and it's for use in rehearsal. So let's say uh, it's a week before the show or two weeks into the run of a show and an actor injures himself or has to drop out of the show. You can use the archival footage to show the person who's coming in. This is the choreography. This is how we've staged it. And you can let them kind of uh, double time their efforts to get caught up on things rather than just bringing them onto the set. Well, you know, interestingly, from a theater standpoint, I remember when Northern's a couple of the big moments when you when you realize, oh, this is going to affect us. Northern Sky Theater <clears throat> early on in the crisis postponed their their summer show. And at the time, the, the thought was, we're going to hopefully do some stuff late summer. We'll be able to have a season. And it seems like a really quaint notion now. Then Peninsula Players, though, when they decided to cancel their summer season, that was kind of a, a shockwave for the county. And just because it, it happened so early and everyone else is still trying to think like, all right, how long can we wait until we make that call? But some of those things you just talked about with the the need to bring in, to purchase rights, the, the, the fees to put these shows on, and then getting the actors and, and moving them into, into the county was going to be a problem. How would they quarantine? How would they act together? And all those types of things. Turned out, the all those debates that we had early about how to do it, how to do this, how to do this, they were all moot points because we just had to cancel them all. I went through that same thing with the uh, Peninsula Pacers and all of our events, like the half marathon and the bike rides of trying to figure out ways to pull them off safely. And you'd spend a ton of time planning for it and then eventually just didn't see a way to do it. Um, but yeah, that Penn Players decision to cancel, that will always stick out for me in this year of a moment when I was like, oh, this is this is getting real. This is really going right. to impact us. Well, and there are other questions as well in terms of like theatrical integrity and what makes theater theater. And I kind of dove into those questions and examined what all of the different theater companies did to try to adapt this year. That'll be in uh, next week's Pulse. So I would definitely check that out if you're interested in this type of thing, just thinking about how, like, how you grapple with these questions. But in terms of what we saw this year, both on theater stages and just in general performance, uh, there were some big stories. Uh, Dor Shakespeare got their their own home uh, or their new home um, where they moved into there and, uh, and that's exciting for them. Um, the the Gould Theater was about to embark on it. Northern Skies Gould Theater was about to embark on its first major season. Uh, of course, that was canceled. Uh, but then you saw you saw different adaptations. Uh, Steelbridge Songfest went virtual this year, um, which seems like the next step in the evolution, just in general, for it, as it's been kind of in flux and doing different things each year over the last couple of years, anyway. Um, but you saw that a lot. You saw a lot of virtual efforts, um, although there were some places that weren't able to to do those same types of things. Uh, Door Community Auditorium, for instance, they they definitely tried to have an online presence, but most of what they did this year was pivoting in anticipation of next year mm -hmm. and trying to, to put together their season for next year. Luckily, most of the acts that they had slated for 2020 uh, were able to remain on for 2021. And of course, it remains to be seen exactly what will happen this year. Uh, but you know, sometimes sometimes there isn't that clear avenue of how to adapt what you're doing. Uh, musicians definitely had that avenue. Uh, we just ran a feature on Katie Dahl recently about how she uh, kind of turned her van into her song mobile and started driving around the county and delivering these concerts to people. Um, a lot of musicians 
turn to virtual concerts, uh, paying a small fee to watch a live performance online, like those types of things, I feel like were pretty clear avenues for musicians in terms of things that, you know, were already commonplace. Uh, but other places didn't have those same you know, those same opportunities. Theater companies in general, like it's hard to adapt what you're doing to a virtual realm and still call it what it is. Readings were a big thing. Uh, a, a staged reading is basically a reduced direct reading from a script. Actors have scripts in their hands. There's very little stage design. There's no set. Most of the time, actors are sitting and standing on chairs on the stage. And it's just a way to bring the text to life a little bit uh, without actually doing a full production. And those, I feel transitioned into Zoom really easily uh, because it's it's a very similar experience if you're watching a reading done live over Zoom and if you're watching it on a stage because you don't have that uh, that interaction as much on stage for a reading as you do in an actual play. So you saw a lot of readings being done, but then you saw some theater companies getting creative and trying to put on something closer to a short film or uh, a filmed version of their play. Um, again, having you know, equity considerations in mind and how do you keep your actors safe if they can't, you know, be next to each other on stage. So you saw different theaters taking different approaches. Dor Shakespeare did a totally remote production called Rosalind, where uh, the three actors had three identical sets shipped to their house, and then they filmed their portions all on their own. And those were all edited together to create a remote filmed production. Um, you just saw really interesting adaptations across the board this year. And I feel like because companies were able to explore some different spaces than they normally would, I think that we'll see some of those things come back next year. Uh, Peninsula Players was able to dive into a a more thorough oral history of the players. Uh, it's been around for 85 years. And in those 85 years, there's some really interesting things that happened. And in a normal year where they're putting five shows on back to back, there's no way that they'd be able to look at that history and present it. Uh, or do it justice the mm -hmm. way that they've been able to do this year. Um, and and now we have the the insight of being able to watch these videos uh, put on by Greg Vinkler uh, and, and various hosts throughout the year going through uh, the players' history, uh, including their time during World War II and, and, and what their efforts were there. Uh, so you got to see different avenues like that. Northern Sky did the Jeff and Katie show, which is kind of a variety show. I talked to Ann Bernsheim over at Northern Sky, and she told me that the response to the Jeff and Katie show was really wonderful, and it's something that they want to try to look at doing more of in 2021. So I, I think that while everybody is super excited to see people back up on stage again, I think there are definitely some things that came out of this year that, if not, are really useful just for this year, but you know, might continue to be avenues of, of further exploration in 2021. So uh, the year in performance was, was definitely interesting, and I feel like a lot of those silver lining stories really came out this year uh, in, this, in this scene. Well, and they're, and they're going to have to incorporate that into 2021, at least in the early part of the year, too. I did see, right. as I'm watching the Packer game on Saturday night, I did notice that there was a casino ad, and I don't gamble, so I don't can't remember which casino it was, but they had an ad for their performances for next summer, and or highlighting their 2021 performances that were coming, their big musical acts. And I think the first one that they were promoting was sometime in August, so... Even that casino with their promotions now is is not promoting anything until almost nine months out. So right. that's uh, 
that made me kind of pause and realize, well, people with big money who have the time to look into these things are, are already starting to write off the spring and much of the summer. Right. Uh, I feel like in terms of the year in food, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking to restaurateurs and about different food things this year in general. Uh, but there's just a couple of things that I think I want to mention. We won't spend too much time on food. Uh, this was uh, kind of a big year for new businesses and also businesses leaving us. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, Fred and Fuzzies, of course, uh, but also Basecamp Coffee closed up in Sister Bay this year. But they're um, coming back. They're coming back. Breaking news, Miles. Stop the presses. No, they are. Um, Joel is, uh, I think, been approved. Joel is a uh, curse of it, is the owner there. It's been approved to for a zoning change where he will now move base camp into the buildings behind the ecology sports store in Sister Bay, which is his the store that's run by his wife. Um, so kind of next to Berto's gas station across from the marina. So the base camp coffee bar will live on in a, in a new location. So I always love the old location down in the little basement there, cozy little place yeah. where I could go and sit with my face against the wall so nobody could see me and say hi and I could actually get writing done. And <laughs> right. Joel would come over and fill my coffee cup for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's got a new location. So I'm excited because he makes great pastries too. Well, that's, you know, that's wonderful to hear. And also uh, a similar story over at Sharnuska in Ephraim as well. Yeah. Um, Paul decided to close Zarnuska because of health concerns and a, a career change. Uh, but it looks like Zarnuska is going to be opening back up in the spring under new management. Ben McMahon and Laura Sequist, which is, you know, a great pick knowing those people, because when you think about new ownership at Charnuska, your mind boggles a little bit because uh, while Paul's soups are fantastic, the atmosphere in there is so unique and unlike anything that you can find in Door County. So to imagine uh, that under new ownership is weird, but I I think that it's it's going to remain largely the same when it reopens. And uh, I think the new owners are a really perfect fit to continue uh, and and to bring new things in there as well. I'm I'm really excited to see what happens over there. Yeah, I mean, that's Charnuska is one of those places that. It's only been around for like nine or 10 years, but it feels like it's been around a lot longer, especially for a certain generation of Door County um, residents kind of in my age and younger, where it was kind of a uh, a special secret little spot. You'd go and hang out with Paul, Paul Wanish, and who has now moved on to WDOR Radio, does a great job over right. there. Um, but yeah, I think also on the, the restaurant front, like you mentioned that we've talked to a lot of restaurateurs this year, and it was really fascinating to see them navigate this season i clearly healthcare professionals had the hardest job throughout all of this followed shortly after by probably school boards <laughs> but um the the restaurateurs just to have to every day deal with the ebb and flow of what the rules were going to be and the the 50 50 nature of the the politicization of, of our health rules in the in the state where people would come up and you they might get blasted in one, by one customer for asking them to wear a mask. And then you'd get blasted by the next customer for um, not spacing people out or but for even offering your services. So they, right. I mean, you talk about thankless is just how everyone would point fingers from either side this whole year. Um, there was no winning. And those, those who like just even stayed open and kept at it, um, I have a lot of admi admiration for that. And then also to like reinvent their businesses on the fly the way that 
Wickman House did or Chives did or Door County Ice Cream Factory, so many different places, putting up plexiglass everywhere and, and making all these extra investments at a time when you're actually losing money. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's been a heck of a year in the food scene. And then the places that even invested and opened up this year. And right. That's that takes guts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my uh, m- more more frequented restaurants of the year was uh, Fat Belly Bowls and Burritos up in Sister Bay. They opened this year, uh, and and then immediately had to pivot some things and you know reduce their seating. They have a wonderful outdoor seating area out there too, which I think was great for them. Uh, but I. <clears throat> You know, I definitely ate my fair share of burritos this year from them. Um, so, so definitely some great businesses opening up this year. And what a year to do it, right? I, I feel like once you get through this year, it's kind of smooth sailing a little bit uh, as you as you kind of get back to normal. <laughs> yeah, everything else is going to seem easy, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so, with that, Miles, uh, you and Deborah Fitzgerald had the monumental task of running through the year in news and compiling some of the big stories from this year. Walk me through some of your uh, some of your biggest ones that that you saw this year in kind of going back uh, and, and taking a look at these stories again. What were some of the the bigger news stories from this year? Well, it's it's kind of crazy because everything else got drowned out, obviously by by COVID. And what I just when I look back, I, I just kept thinking about how much this thing has changed. Like it, it's not like in a, in a way we're dealing with the same problem the whole year. In another way, we've actually dealt with like seven or eight different problems. They're all called called COVID, but what it was evolved. Like I, I wrote the intro to this year's issue and I remembered when Dave Elliott came over back in February, sat down next to my desk and kind of slumped in his chair. And he said, he's, he was obviously reading something on his phone and he says, do you think this is, what do you think this COVID thing means for the half marathon, which Dave is a founder of, and I have helped organize and, and pull that off for 10 years. And I just, I blew him off. I said, it's not going to be around by then. This is just like Ebola and the last SARS and stuff like swine flu. Like, no, I'm not worried about it. And yeah. and that's <laughs> something we haven't talked about on the podcast is how you're famously a COVID denier. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like, I was not one to, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, I don't think I was that early, although I think most of my friends would beg to differ. But that's just, um, you know, like even February 15th, Mike Gallagher visited Bay Shipbuilding Company and I replayed my audio from from talking to him that day. And we asked him about this virus from China. And it was interesting because he said at the time, well, now that we have finally closed the borders to travel and travel from China, I think we have a we're, that's a really good move. and We have a better handle on this, but we you know, he basically put a lot of the onus back on China at the time. But it was interesting to hear him say that because later on he would go back and say that we did such a great job closing travel from China so early. But at the time he was saying we we waited too long. But hmm. but even then it was a minor thing that at the time I think there were like 12 or 13 cases in the U.S. And then there were 24 and then there were 38, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I remember on... March 6th, reading this thread from a, a Twitter thread from a epidemiologist who was saying, yes, this is worrisome that we have this, maybe at the time there might've been like 60 cases. And because she said it's doubling every three days. And generally with these things, you, you know, if it starts doubling in seven days or less, you're in a bad spot. And then she just ran the numbers I'm like, yeah, but it's still only like 60 cases. And she just ran the numbers of like, at this rate, we're going to have a million cases by May 1st. And that just sounded absurd but then I just started doing the math and reading some other stuff. And that's when I was like, oh, oh, man, this is going to this is going to dominate our year. 
this is not good. <laughs> um, right. Unless we had, unless we locked it down. Because if you think of those early days, our goal was to try to s- stop it from getting here. Like when people start talking about lockdowns, that, that original lockdown was because we actually thought we could prevent it from spreading everywhere else in the United States, which we could have done. Other countries were able to do that. Like it wasn't inevitable that it just got everywhere. But we we didn't actually do like a full lockdown to prevent people from bringing it everywhere. But there were times where we were like, well, we can keep it to one case in Wisconsin and it won't blow up here. It'll be a Seattle problem. It'll be a New York problem. And then later, when it started to spread in Wisconsin, it was, well, we'll just keep it in Milwaukee and Madison and we'll just not let it spread up here. And then it was, let's just keep it out of Door County. So, so many of the actions we were taking early on were all about like stopping the spread. Later, it became like, it's everywhere. We're just trying not to get sick. But right. the hope was we stop it from spreading and we can have a normal summer. I remember that conversation with JR from Chives about maybe we can save July. <laughs> um, yeah. It just, but that conversation was so different that it's almost like a totally different story later in the year. Right. You know, I'm looking back through the early months of 2020, and it literally looks like we're looking at a different dimension. Uh, some of these stories feel like they were so long ago, like the Door County Visitor Bureau becomes Destination Door County. <laughs> I feel like I've been calling it Destination Door County for years now at this point. The one that really kind of floored me is uh, in January, we talked about the episode about Gibraltar in Disney Encore. Yeah. Uh, we, we had the whole cast come on the podcast for a two-part episode talking about about the series that seems like it was so long ago and yet i remember watching that episode while we were locked down in wisconsin and and again that's march and it feels like it was years ago i mean people talk about you know this losing track of time in this town this time you know compounding on itself and it really does feel like this year was several years long when you look back at the stories we were talking about in january and you know if if COVID hadn't dominated the year, uh, what I do think might have been some of the bigger stories would have been um, a lot of municipal news in terms of major projects, Sturgeon Bay's waterfront and the, the inching forward there. Towns would have taken on different projects, Fish Creek's downtown projects and and kind of snafus there. And looking at what Egg Harbor's got coming down the pike there, those would have been much bigger parts of the year, but they just, yeah. they, you know, municipalities were kind of stalled for several months, not even able to have some of these committees meet and and move those projects and let alone know what kind of budget dollars were going to be there for them. Um, right. And of course, water would have been a bigger deal. <laughs> we pr- pr- probably would have written a lot more stories about that. Um, well, and, ha- okay, and, and housing question. and housing. I mean, they're, like it, this has wiped out the ability to kind of put some energy toward idea stories, which is what we've always right. loved to do at The Pulse. And really just have to keep people informed on how the day-to-day operates. You know, I feel like we've talked a good amount about housing, but we really have not touched on the high water levels since the beginning of this. How how big a deal were the high water levels this year? Because uh, we, we talked about it at length last year, but did we see the number, the, the levels go down or up or stay the same? Uh, what, did, what did that look like as we were, you know, distracted by everything else happening? Well, we did have the close to record high levels through July, and then this year, we actually got the, the drop in the fall that we didn't get the pri- prior year. So we had levels sink down substantially. Whitefish Dunes Beach is actually, there's at least a little bit of beach there now, where earlier in this year, there was none. 
Um, right. So they have returned to some level of normalcy. And then we also got lucky. Like there's still a long winter to go, but normally you get some really bad November, December winds, particularly in, in November. And that's where you get some of the, the shoreline damage. And it seems like we skated by that so far. So it remains to be seen what kind of ice cover we get and whether or not you'd have any like ice shove damage later on in the spring because you also get a lot of that that wind in the spring. But right. things calm down a little bit on the in terms of like the high water levels, but it is a cycle. So it'll be interesting next spring if it bounces back up or if we see it continue to drop, in which case right. maybe some of this money having to be spent on shoreline um, revetments is hopefully dies down. Right. So those were uh, just a couple of the big stories this year. Of course, there were many more, and Deborah Fitzgerald tackled the second half of the year. There just were so many stories. To to put it all on you, Miles, I think would be a uh, a big ask. But uh, if you want to check out some more of those, those stories and, and just kind of work your way through the year, uh, the year in review issue is available now. So people can pick it up wherever you get papers in Door County. You just spin around with your eyes open, and you'll probably see one somewhere. Um, so take a look through the year interview uh it, it turned out really beautiful there's some great art direction in there from ryan miller uh so it, it it is a pleasure to look through even though you know reminiscing on this year isn't necessarily a pleasant experience i think it is still very interesting to look through uh how far we've come this year just you know like we said thinking back to march seems like so long ago so if you want to jog your memory and remember what this year actually was uh take a look through through that issue uh when you grab it um now that we are kind of saying goodbye to 2020 i'm sure that we will start looking ahead to 2021 and what we have to look forward to or what challenges we might come up to as we approach the new year, uh, but we will save that for next week and beyond. So, Miles, I hope you have a Merry Christmas, and I extend that uh, to everybody listening to the podcast. Um, uh, I know that Christmas might look a little different for a lot of people this year, but uh, I hope that your holidays are merry and bright, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you, Miles, and uh, chatting with all of our listeners again next week. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Merry Christmas to you as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.